Okay. Ba 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 ba. We are rolling at this time. We are recording. So I'll go ahead and bring this episode to order. Here, here. Here, here. We're calling it recording session. session. (laughs) How's everyone doing today? Bang the gavel. Uh. I'm being detained by the bailiff, but otherwise, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good. It's been, I had a chill day. I had a crazy weekend. So I I tried to just chill today. And I mean, I did see some clients, but only the chill ones. Yeah. They're pretty chill. Well, hey there, everyone listening at home. Uh, this is another episode of We're Calling It. I'm Connor Clifton, joined by Emily Hines Hello. and Maria Haig. Hey. As we determined last time, <laughs> how she first to be for two. <laughs> World Series just ended last night as of this recording. How's everyone feeling about the Braves' victory over the Astros? I have no opinion, so I'll stay out of it. Okay. <laughs> I just think it's obnoxious that. Uh, I had to watch them do the chop so many, so often. So, you know, I'm mad about that. Yeah, that's pretty annoying. Very, very obnoxious. The chop led them all the way to the victory. It's not the chop. There must be something to the (laughs) chop. Well, uh, yeah, I guess if the uh, rando stream feed that I was watching the chat on had any uh, opinion on it, that is true. They were very, very much defending it. Trump showing up and doing the chop is what uh, pushed them over the edge. Oh, my God. (laughs) All right. Well, yeah, it was a bummer. The game was a uh, shutout. Very a not hell good. of a shutout. What does that mean? It means we scored zero and they scored Holy seven shit. runs. What? They got, yeah, yeah they, it was bad. They obliterated us. Oh, yep. man. Mm-hmm. Poor guys. Yeah. I it, bet that felt bad. It did not seem to feel good for them. I think that, that's my only real opinion on it um, is that it really sucks that they lost so badly in their hometown. Yeah. That's a bummer. Yeah. Well, it was like, I mean, they did get like a big win over the Braves in their own stadium, but it was really gross when they were in Braves Stadium. Like all these people were like, cheater, cheater to like the Astros. And it's like everybody was doing it. Doesn't everybody cheat? Everybody was doing that exact kind of cheating. The Astros got popped for in 2017 and like. The Red Sox got, I don't know. It's just kind of like a, yeah, they did it, but everybody did it. And uh, I don't know. It's just kind of an ugly way to be. It's like these dudes, I don't even know. I don't even know why I'm defending it. It was all bad to cheat, but like it's 2021. Let's just, I don't know, whatever. They got busted though. And they were the ones who I got busted. Atlanta, nobody spoke out about Atlanta's actions. Mostly New York, Astros, Boston, and maybe LA. Yeah, at one point LA was brought up. But yeah, there's consensus that it happens all over the league. I don't know. I don't care. Uh, if any sports nuts hear this and they they want to get at us, let us know what um, what we're getting right, what we're getting wrong here. Don't get at me with the sports stuff. Leave I, me out of it. Yeah, I, I do maintain that uh, I am a Mariners fan, first and <laughs> foremost. Uh, so I literally have no dog in this fight, except that Astros are my number two team. But I much prefer to like a team that's very bad. Yeah, this is like, I don't know why I'm always talking about baseball on this podcast. <laughs> when I did um, Is That a Foul with Cody Edgar, <laughs> in my old sports podcast, um, people would respond to me in my Instagram stories or on Facebook comments about like stuff I got wrong or whatever. And I always always be like, I don't fucking care. <laughs> <laughs> is it the conceit of that? I don't give that... two shits what you think about my sports takes. But wasn't the conceit of that, that you didn't really get sports? Yeah. But it was also just like, you're not Cody. I don't give a fuck if you like taking time out of my day to tell me like, cause they, it wasn't just like, Hey, Cody actually got the rules wrong. Cause if Cody got the rules wrong, they'd message Cody. Mm. Just like, Hey, I disagree with your take. I'm like, I don't fucking That's care. what a take is. Yeah. Like it's my take. It's yeah. Make your own fucking podcast. <laughs> there are many idiot. like it, but this is mine. <laughs> <laughs> Look, a lot has been happening in Texas. We just had an election this week. We have all kinds of stuff going on in Houston as well. Uh, Emily, can you please start us off with some local Houston news? Yeah. So if you have been listening to this podcast, you don't need much of a recap on the housing drama that's been going on. But in case you haven't, and this is for some reason your first episode, I'll just break it down super fast. Um maybe a month ago now maybe i can't remember exactly the time not that long ago the uh former housing director tom mccasland 
went to a housing committee meeting, made a bunch of allegations that Mayor Turner was kind of rigging the affordable housing system to favor an affordable housing developer that he knew. And also kind of just generally shitting on the way that the housing department and the Turner administration allocated funding and the process, et cetera. And then uh, Mayor Turner fired him that day and a whole bunch of investigations started. uh, One of which is the Harris County DA, the GLO. And I heard that HUD also is investigating. Um, And the city of Houston was like, okay, we'll do an internal investigation as well. So last week, actually for the last couple of weeks, but it keeps getting put off on the agenda at city council, there is an item to hire an outside firm for this investigation. Butler snow is the name of the, of the law firm. Uh, it keeps getting put off. Finally, this last week, it kind of all came to a head in the, one of the longest conversations at city council I've ever sat through. Um, I put out notes every week on Instagram and usually one item or major item will take up one to two slides. This took up three and could easily have been just the whole notes. It was so much conversation and so much back and forth. And um, I included a lot of that back and forth because this is one thing I love about attending city council is seeing how these people talk to each other and uh, comment on issues like this is really telling and indicative of their character, I think, and uh, will definitely influence how I vote in the next election, just knowing how these people talk to each other and about certain issues. Um, So I did include a lot of that sort of back and forth and um, he said, she said kind of stuff in the notes because it was really interesting this past week, um, they ended up, so what ended up happening is they decided to send the, this, this agenda item to hire this legal firm. They decided to send it back to the administration, quote unquote, which normally would basically mean we would never see it again because Mayor Turner controls what gets on the agenda. So in his opinion and the way he speaks of it, it was very kind of him to put this on the agenda in the first place. Um, So then there uh, ensued this uh, giant conversation with some people saying like, well, if we refer it back to the administration, we'll never see it again. And some people saying like, yeah, that's kind of the point. We don't need to do this. Um, And the final compromise was that it would be sent back to the administration and we'll see it again in 30 days, at which point we should have the GLO report, maybe some more information from the DA, um, and then they can sort of take it up again and decide if they do want to do this investigation. So that's the... I know it was long, but the short story (laughs) (laughs) sounds like it got ping ponged a little bit. It did. Yeah, it totally did. And it was interesting because so one thing that stood out for me is CM Pollard, rather than critique, rather than saying, I think we should do the investigation. I don't think we should do the investigation. He critiqued the cost. He said the cost was too much. Um, and repeatedly brought this up. He was like $325,000 for a 30 day investigation, you know, and he's a lawyer himself. So what, you know, his critique of this could be seen as valid and, uh, and lend, you know, just, I, and I don't, I don't really know where I'm going with that, but anyways, uh, I wonder that he would only stick to, I mean, I guess in that sense, he's like, well, I'm a purist. I only care about the budget of this. So I just like, and essentially, he's against it because it costs too much. Yeah. I have heard in the past from other people that it is extremely possible that CM Pollard would join the ranks of um, black Republican politicians. He is definitely a Democrat, you know, liberal leaning right now, but he's very fiscally conservative and voted the only other. Uh, council members who voted against this item today were all conservatives. So it was four or five other conservatives and then CM Pollard, uh, who basically was just critiquing the cost of the item. 
Uh, also, I would like to clarify, and Councilmember Alcorn clarified this, and it was really helpful, because at one point, Pollard was like, you know, people are complaining we can't get our trash picked up on time. We don't have money to fund parks, et cetera, but, like, where are we coming up with the money for this? And it's actually dedicated money. It doesn't come out of the general fund. This is dedicated money in the from the legal department for these matters. So it's not like we're taking money away from the parks department to fund this investigation. Mm-hmm. So just I like that that's on the table and known in general as well. One thing uh, that was really interesting to me in the article you shared with us, uh, the Houston Chronicle from October 27th, uh, Mayor Pro Tem Dave Martin made the motion to delay the vote and Turner voted to support it. Martin later voted against his own proposal after it was amended to a 30-day delay instead of an indefinite delay that typically kills an agenda item. And what I find that so interesting is that this whole scandal takes place within his district. And he's such a big proponent of the mayor. And for him to just be like, oh, we're not indefinitely delaying it. And well, now I'm voting against it. It just stinks. Something's mm-hmm. rotten in this uh, kingdom of Denmark, man. It's just like he's so clearly implicated in this shit. <laughs> yeah. There's also very obviously, it just seems so obvious that there is communication amongst the council members about this item and beforehand saying, okay, you're on my team. We're going to vote for this. Um, a couple of things stood out to me. Councilmember Castex Tatum said that she read the report that Mr. McCasland sent to council and it didn't cause her any alarm, which is just an extremely wow. bizarre statement to make. Like I, f- it, it sounded like she was just like, all right, I got to get on record saying this because I agreed to, um, also they, uh, Martin, smeared McCaslin again at this meeting too, saying he uh, has been screaming quote for years about how he was running housing said he was in over his head just you know didn't know what he was doing uh it was very bizarre um there was a lot of talk about uh, Mr. McCaslin and smearing his character and uh you know some of the uh, Councilmember Travis, for instance, you know, said you you can't smear someone's character like that, f- and with with no supporting documentation, with nothing backing it up, and that's what that's what we want. That's what we want in this investigation. Yeah. Because Mayor Turner kept saying, "There's no documents," because I pulled this affordable development, uh, affordable housing development from the agenda. No one voted on it. There's no documents. There's no need to have an investigation because it's been pulled. We don't need to worry about it anymore, guys. Yeah. And. Uh, and Councilmember Travis and Kubosh, et cetera, are like, that's not even the whole point. The point is that there's this potential craziness happening in the housing department. You're smearing Tom McCaslin probably as a deflection tactic. Absolutely, as a deflection tactic. And that's the issue. That's what we want documentation yeah. on. We want to know what's going on in the housing department. And at one point, Kubosh said, you know, at the meeting at this, uh, at the, at our last episode, Connor talked a little bit about this uh, housing meeting, special housing meeting that was called to discuss to discuss the issue um, that really turned into just a discussion of overspending at housing. And Siam Kubash said, if that was the revelation that we had and you didn't seem to know about the overspending at housing, Mayor Turner, who was running the show then? Like, these are the things we need to be investigating. Yeah. So... I mean, nothing got resolved. <laughs> really, they just you know bounced it back, deflected it for thirty more days, and we'll see. Did you mention earlier Greg Travis wants uh, Ken Paxton to start oh, looking yeah. into this? So I Ken Paxton that. might sue <laughs> the, the city of Houston or God. Mayor Turner for information on this. Apparently, they're buds. Yeah. Welcome to the resistance, Ken Paxton. Yeah, oh my I mean, God. <laughs> no, I feel like it also based on what Tom himself was saying at that meeting when he made his statements, like the alleged screaming is most likely him probably repeatedly saying, I am not being given the resources I need to do my job effectively. Because again, like I definitely know him as a person who's motivated by public good. And there is a lot of wheeling and dealing that happens in Houston politics that does not prioritize the public good. So it may be that he's a squeaky wheel and people are kind of... I, I thought know. I thought you were saying that Dave Martin claimed that he was screaming about overspending. Yes, he was. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, he was screaming about how McCaslin was running the housing department. Oh, I yeah. thought you were saying that people were alleging that Tom was the one who was screaming. No, yeah. no, like, sorry. That seems no, really Dave intense. Martin. Okay, that uh, makes more sense. Who, I have, who uh, having 
helped edit Emily Takes Notes for a better part of a year now. I've never really heard Dave Martin complain about uh, overspending at the housing department, but apparently no. he's been screaming about it. Hmm. I also, to be fair, don't attend too many committee meetings, uh, especially housing committee meetings. Dave Martin is also the chair of the Budget and Fiscal Affairs Committee, so he probably does have ample opportunity to uh, oversee such matters. Well, also, that's that's bullshit, because I attended that meeting uh, that you were talking about earlier, and Dave Martin... He acted surprised at overspending and even said, like, this is on me. I'm the committee chairman. I take the I, – I remember talking about that. Oh, he, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> he he did not fucking know. Absolutely not. Ooh, I'm glad I remember that. Yeah. I'm glad I attended that meeting. Good one. So another interesting thing that came out of this is it, it really kind of was a sparring match between Councilmember Travis and Mayor Turner. Uh, and Mayor Turner at one point said – for whatever reason you're doing this, only time will tell. And it really sounded like he was evoking a fortune teller, you know, like it was very pointed, very spooky. Um, and then later the same day, we learned that Councilmember Travis is resigning to run for oh. Texas House District 133, um, which is a West Houston district. So he basically went to this meeting bothered mayor turner about this and then had a fundraiser in river oaks that night where he announced that he is effectively resigning so that he can run for this texas house district but he is not technically allowed or he can still serve until someone is elected to fill his seat this is what i thought was funny too he was like i'm done as of right now i'm no longer your city council person and then the city attorney was like actually you could still serve and he was like what i didn't know that at, oh, the, okay. at the same fundraiser he announced his, his, uh, his resignation yeah oh? yeah so oh that was God. funny boy i'm glad he's on our city council I w so this brings me to sort of the next point is that I would so much rather have him on our city council than have him in the Texas House State of Representatives or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. Um, because he is very weak in the council. He has no power. He can't he can't really do anything. He's right in a statement that he made announcing his uh, his candidacy for the House. He said, I think I can do a lot more for my constituents there. And he's right. Mm hmm. Um, I don't really know that much about anyone else running. Uh, they're all Republicans right now. There's no Democrat in the race. Uh, it's likely there won't be. Yeah. Um, so ultimately, probably, I don't think it matters too much. Um, my just my sort of basic feedback is it's better to keep them at council where you can rein them in. They don't have a lot of power. Keep yeah. them hobbled. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Well, um, I wish I could say sorry to see you go, Greg Travis, but really, I just want you to lose in your next election. Yeah. That'd be ideal. That would be ideal. He's not here and he's not there. He's back in, uh, where is he? Westview, River Oaks, that kind of area? Yeah. That's yeah, that's very solidly red district. Yeah. Let me mm. see if there's anything else I wanted to talk about this. I don't think so. I think we got to got to all this stuff. Besides just my uh, re reinforcing my opinion that Mayor Turner is a bully. He was talking to everyone like they were 12 years old, literally laughing at concepts and concerns brought forward. At one point, he said, this is foolishness. I've been patient enough. Wow. And it really sounded like he was talking about this discussion that we're having, which someone, Steve Kubosh later was like, can we go back to that? Because that was rude. And uh, Mayor Turner was like, oh, no, no, I was talking about the allegations, not about this robust and healthy conversation yeah. we're having. The allegations. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Wink. Yeah. So yeah. that was the thing. He also said, not outright, but implied that, uh, Mayor Turner implied that he was receiving criticism because he's black. Mr. McCaslin is not rece receiving as much criticism because he's white, um, which could be true, certainly. Yeah. I mean, who knows? He may, he probably is getting like more criticism than maybe a like white, strong armed, sort of corrupt adjacent sure. mayors. Yeah. yeah. I can definitely concede that. I don't know if the power dynamic is just that between him and Tom. Have any Democrats <laughs> spoken out against him yet? I, not that I've heard. Against Mayor Turner? Yeah. In general or on this specific issue? On this specific issue. 
Um, let's see who voted to return it back in 30 days. Uh, let's see. I mean, not really. No, I feel like it, we would have heard more. Yeah. <laughs> We're being louder. The people who are very on team Turner are Martin and Castex Tatum, uh, that I can think of right now who are kind of obviously trying to, you know, form the form his backup basically yeah. on this mm. well you guys want to move on to the delta eight updates yeah sure all right last week mm-hmm. we talked about the changing delta eight laws or rather the lack of those laws and in order to really kind of give some context to this conversation i re- went ahead and wrote up a uh I want to say brief, but it's not that brief. Uh, Just like (laughs) history of Texas and its marijuana laws. So I'll get started here. The first time Texas made any kind of legal declaration regarding marijuana was in 1915, when the city of El Paso banned a drug after the murder of a police officer in Mexico. Police were blaming the side effect of marijuana, claiming it sent the murderer into a berserker-like rage. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) A known effect. The sheriff of El Paso seized on the opportunity and claimed that marijuana was, in fact, the cause of all crime and trickery in El Paso. Trickery! (laughs) And that Mexicans across the border were to blame for bringing it it into El Paso. However, marijuana's prohibition was confined to the city of El Paso and was still widely used across the state recreationally. That'll change to 1919 when the state declared marijuana was to be only used for medicinal purposes and Texans needed a prescription to possess it. By 1923, during the upswing of the American Prohibition era, all narcotics were prohibited in the state of Texas, including medicinal marijuana. In 1933, still during Prohibition, Texas sought to outdo itself and declared marijuana so criminally offensive that the possession of even the daintiest nug would send you to the pokey for life. Is daintiest nug an official written record? I want that to be. I want that to be. Now, see here. So saying, even the daintiest nug sent you to the pokey for the rest of your life. That's how they all talked about back then. This was the law of the land until 1973 when Texas amended the law. Four ounces or less was only equivalent to a misdemeanor. Still, the period between 1970 to 1975 saw the amount of marijuana-related arrests in the state increase by 226%. The city of Houston eventually saw a reprieve from this penalty in 2017 when Kim Ogg took office as district, district attorney and declared marijuana decriminalized in the city, but statewide is still a different story. In 2015, Governor Greg Abbott signed the Texas Compassionate Use Act, allowing the use of low-THC CBD oil for med, uh, medical patients. However, the process for gaining access to CBD oil was complicated and expensive. But then, in 2018, Senator Mitch McConnell of the state of Kentucky pushed through a farm bill in the Senate that contained a provision that removed the term tetrahydrocannabinols in hemp from the federal government's definition of THC and thus legalized hemp, unknowingly creating a new marijuana market in the process. CBD exploded across the country. Like, he didn't mean to do that. No. Like, that was definitely no, a whoopsie. It was definitely like, yeah. Like, uh, he accidentally deleted that and no one caught it. Yeah. Basically, he... he God, I didn't want that. He was so... <laughs> Hemp is such a viable product for the state of Kentucky that right. he's like, we just got to get it done. There's more of people whoopsie daisying marijuana legalization. Okay, we'll stop here. interrupting the. No, 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 no. <laughs> Wel- uh, questions are welcome. Questions and jokes are welcome. Maybe this is just because the farm bill was written and signed by Republicans, but the state of Texas followed suit and passed a bill that legalized hemp in the 86th legislative session. Greg Abbott signed a bill bringing Texas's laws in step with the federal government for a change, but Texas legislators were also too short-sighted to predict the consequences of that bill. Texas's bill was similar to the federal bill in that it legalized hemp and defined it as a plant with less than 0.3% of THC. Granted, smaller or rural... Rural crime labs across the state (laughs) didn't have access to the high-tech equipment necessary to analyze substances to detect that, but they'll just go out and buy them, right? Wrong! Those machines are pretty much only available in cities that have already decriminalized marijuana, such as Houston and Austin. So, a cop could pull you over and confiscate your marijuana, but if you can't afford to prove that you're not just carrying hemp, then you got a defense. Ideally, the cop would say, oh well, can't prove it, I guess I'll just let you go, but... We all know that is not the case. From this little whoopsie-daisy, the CBD market exploded. Suddenly, all Texans had access to CBD products, despite the state not pay- formally paving a way for access. 
But CBD, for all its purposes, doesn't get you high, something the Texans still wanted. From there, Texas and other southern states where marijuana was illegal saw the rise of Delta-8, which was also legalized via the 2018 build. Because Delta-8 is ultimately derived from hemp, that is less than 0.3% THC, it is technically legal. Fast forward to earlier this year. Delta 8 is all the rage with your friends who are convinced that normal weed isn't as fun. It's everywhere and it's selling. Texans are beginning to realize that there is an alternative to not being high. Being high. Which, <laughs> which of course, makes Texas leaders pissed off. And one of the many special sessions called for Texas's 87th legislature, Dan Patrick suggested he may lead an attempt to recriminalize CBD, something that thankfully did not materialize. What did happen, however is that on October 15th, the Texas Department of State Health Services posted a notice on its website that maintained that Delta 8 was illegal. This notice has mixed responses. Some stores stopped selling Delta 8 completely, including some CBD products in which Delta 8 naturally occurs. Some stores kept selling all products, daring the government to come after them. And, of course, some stores decided to sue. An Austin-based company named Hometown Hero is suing the state of Texas to stop the enforcement of the DSHS. H's notice and just so you guys know it's called hometown hero because uh a lot of their profits go to uh supporting veterans here in the state of texas oh, that's good yeah um I they're, just, you they're never not know. so much to, i know there's it, always it, some goofy ass name and you're just like come on man it would be very stupid to be like yeah uh i need to register my business a white horse llc so i can sue the state of texas <laughs> well like there's like american shaman cbd which is like absolutely unconscionable business name <laughs> i i just i just like that one hometown hero i thought you meant like you thought that they started that business just so they could sue and called themselves that oh no i was thinking like i don't even know just like some goofy like i'm the hometown i'm the guy that gives you uh, your highness i nah. get you high baby <laughs> it's, it's definitely it's definitely because their proceeds go to um as they call them their the he hometown heroes in a hearing last week to request an emergency temporary restraining order against the notice, lawyers for Hometown Hero argued that the notice came from out of nowhere and that distributors and business owners were not properly notified. Lawyers for the state of Texas, however, argued that because the hemp bill didn't outright legalize Delta-8, no. the substance was still illegal. No, that's bullshit! In fact, the DSHS even argued, quote, the plaintiff's alleged surprise that tetrahydrocannabinol remains a Schedule One controlled substance does not merit the extraordinary relief of a temporary restraining order. THC, including Delta-8, has been a Schedule One controlled substance in Texas for over 40 years. Banned for 40 years, despite it entering the zeitgeist only earlier this year. While the judge in the hearing chose to deny the temporary restraining order, the fight is not yet over. Another hearing with a new judge will hear arguments for a TRO this Friday, November 5th, and Houston's own Bayou City Hemp Company is further exploiting the exact wording of the law. By selling legal Delta-9 edibles that technically contain less than 0.3% DHC on a dry weight basis, consumers can still buy large edibles with legal amounts of THC. It's a temporary fix for now, but who knows how the state will counter. Until full legalization comes to the state of Texas, the legal game of cat and mouse will never end. What a roller coaster. <laughs> Good job, Connor. Really great. Yeah. Um. Okay, but that is bullshit. God. Where he's like, well, we didn't say like it wasn't illegal. It's like, no, that's like literally being like, well, I'm going to give you a ticket. And it's like, well, it didn't say I couldn't park. Well, it didn't say you could park. Yeah. It's, it's really stupid. I wish I had some optimism that would get thrown out, but... Who fucking knows in this wacky, wacky state of ours? Um, all this whole time while writing this, the holy, the, I, I kept thinking about how this, the way that we operate, or the way that marijuana operates in Texas, the marijuana industry. Texas does some shit like this. They accidentally legalize something or accidentally decriminalize something, and then people exploit it, and it's not regulated. It's so brand new. It's all these chemicals. Nobody. Everybody wants to get high so bad that they're not going to take the time to stop and look into it. And so I was thinking about in 2012, Kush was all oh the rage. Oh, my God. I was just thinking about that. People were having strokes all the time. There was like 16 people who just had, like were freaking out in uh, Memorial Park in like 2016 or something. And of 
I mean, that shit was not yeah. okay. It was actually. not. The chemicals that made up Kush changed as soon as the DSHS banned them here in Texas, which made it impossible to know if the thing you bought yesterday was the same as the thing you were buying today. And this is different, though, because this is more by percentage of just THC. Right. It's not THQ because you moved one like alkaloid or I don't know chemistry. But. Because of a lack of regulation, we're still depending on trusting these companies like Hometown Hero yeah. or Bayou City Weed Hemp Company, whatever the fuck they're fucking called. <laughs> it ain't my, my guy. Bayou City I'll tell you that. Weed. Yeah. Uh, so it's just we have to trust that they are using the right amount of THC. We have to trust that they're not adding anything to it because even in cases where something is legal in different states – I don't know if y'all remember in 2019, there was the vaping crisis. Right. Where unregulated vape cartridges for, you know, THC had trace and nicotine even had trace amounts of vitamin E, which would solidify in their lungs, creating popcorn lung. And people were very, very sick. People died in some cases. So in both of these cases, there was a lack of regulation and oversight on the chemical makeup of the products, not enough quality assurance to ensure that they were safe, and no financial incentives or punitive measures for them to ensure that in the first place. So this back and forth is just going to not only create more arrest and more holdups in our legal system, it's going to kill people. And so if <laughs> I mean, we've heard all kinds of different arguments for regulating and legalizing the stuff here's one we need to legalize and regulate weed because now weed can actually kill people it couldn't before and now it can so we need to be careful with it i mean there's a lot i feel like there's a lot of a lot of money to be made legalizing marijuana in the state which you know i kind of am wary of the idea of like only on the level of if we decriminalize if we legalize it recreationally then it's going to be like the marlboro green state which, you know, I know that's really problematic in other places where, you know, local weed shops are predominantly white and they're really pushing out and gentrifying, you know, neighborhoods where people who are dealing before were yeah. getting 30, 40 years. So that inequity is clearly rampant in that situation. But oh, yeah. here we would have a whole other version of that where it would be like a large conglomerate. But we're, I guess either more afraid of people being high and being like, wait a minute. Like I don't always have to feel like shit every second. And like, maybe this whole system is, you know, not that weed does that necessarily. It really opens your mind. It's like great, man. I know a lot of Trump supporters who smoked weed, so it's not going to make you like some peace loving hippie. No, that's true. But they also may be more enamored by the amount of fucking prison labor that they can squeeze out of like these punitive laws because there's a lot of money to be made making shit in prisons and you can't make shit for like 25 cents an hour labor costs unless you have a free-flowing supply of inmates coming in always ready to like always being forced to make your shirts or whatever the hell they make well i guess my pushback on that is because they have decreased the penalties for marijuana like you can carry up to four ounces in the here state, oh well, in the in state, the, state yeah. in the entire state and it's a misdemeanor in the state in the city of houston they'll just write you a ticket like, you could still get arrested in, like, Viter for four ounces of weed, but they're not going to send you to prison like they used to. Maybe. But there's still a lot of people in prison already. Sure. Yeah, yeah I know. I'm, I'm not denying that. I'm just saying that, like, and your argument really... that Texas doesn't want to legalize it because of and that And honestly, is... who knows, you know, if they find some young person who has a little bag of weed in some city i won't name a specific one because there are lots where this could happen and they're like well we're going to take you in and then they just kind of rot in police custody in this small like there are lots of ways to keep people they incarcerated can't get bail. Yeah, yeah exactly Absolutely. you don't actually have to be com- like passing the four ounce mark to become a part of a system of incarceration sure. and like even as i mentioned like there's no way to test it in a lot of these smaller places so like Vider, they could just hold you until, well, it's going to take two weeks before San Antonio gets back to it. So, yeah, it's pretty fucked up. So they should just legalize it. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the state. I I do believe the state made an effort hoping that people would kind of move. I believe that Greg Abbott is warming up to marijuana policies. I believe that a lot of Texans and Texas legislators are warming up to it. I mean, Rick Perry spoke out sure. in favor of it. And he, the biggest obstacle to it in the 87th session was Dan Patrick. 
Prude. Like, he's like, nope, ain't happening. Prude the, ass. The, the Texas Republican Party two years ago endorsed marijuana. God, that's true. And then they failed to follow through on it. It's on their fucking party platform to legalize it. Maybe it's one of those things like how the Democrats are all like screaming about how progressives like destroyed their chances in the elections. Like Mm. maybe marijuana, like that's too divisive. And all the people who are younger Republicans, libertarians, like, no, man, that's how we stay relevant. You guys are killing us. I think money talks. I think it's just Dan Patrick. Like, I think he's just an old fuddy-duddy stick in the mud. And he really believes that, like, it's going to it's gonna kill us. It's going to make us all atheist commies. Sick. Like, I think he's just a dipshit. I don't know. Maybe there's something more nefarious, but I just think he's dumb. <laughs> That's long and short of my belief. So, moral of that story, that whole long essay that you wrote, is that Dan Patrick is dumb. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, in conclusion. <laughs> Stay with me. Stay all with right. me. <laughs> anyway, that's all I have to say on it. Those are the big updates. Uh, anything else y'all want to say about weed before we move on to Maria's topic? I probably would be easier to legalize it Le- legalize uh, it yeah, regulate legalize it. it make it safe yeah release everyone in prison and uh give priority uh brown black ownership over the businesses uh easy way to send a lot of overdue money to communities that have been divested yeah. of it by specific policies around marijuana like if we can do it right yeah. and not make it a white person's game we can actually maybe do something good with that, but I will say to to counter my own argument, it was very fucked up that in reducing the penalties for marijuana possession, they completely failed to retroactively. Right. Oh, why um, would they ever? Yeah. They. No. Yeah. Not here. Not admitting mistakes. McConaughey would do it, but I don't know. I don't know if anybody else. Would. All right, let's talk about the governor's <laughs> race now. <laughs> no, that poll came out. He's sunk. There's no way, man. Seven percent, I think they said. Of people would vote. I mean, it's an early poll, but who uh, fuck? Uh, I, I'm just saying. I saw that. I was like, uh huh. And we're gonna flip purple too. Huh? I know. It looked the real data clear. talks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hang on one sec. I'm just kidding. We should not talk about the governor's race. No. I'm. I, I have to. I put a marker, but I have to run to bed. Okay. This uh, thing sucks, dude. Yeah, that's why I had. Do you want so to yeah, use my I purse to, to hold so it? Just like balance it. Yeah. No, hang that strap. Don't it don't balance it. (laughs) For some reason when I first saw it, I thought it was like a like a much softer, like if you can balance it like that, I'd be so impressed. I really won't. I'm not gonna do it. Yeah, I was like trying silently as I could to like keep the thing as just a camera. And then I like rammed my teeth into it after adjusting it. I'm sorry to give you the shitty microphone. I thought it would just sit lower and be fine. Okay, sorry about that. It's okay. I think you should keep it in. All right, I will. Not your pee. I mean that segment, the break in the podcast. (laughs) Oh, my kidneys. (laughs) All right, Maria, you had something very fun and exciting to talk about today. Not grim at all. Why don't you go ahead and get into it? Yeah, so um, just today, actually, um, an article in the Chronicle by Emily Foxall came out about a ProPublica study that was done mapping cancer causing pollution facilities all over the country um and uh, of which unsurprisingly many were in texas specifically in houston um so this propublica study was conducted over two years analyzing data from over a five-year span um and basically what they did was creating what they called and it's really great on their website it's like an interactive map where you can put in your zip code you can look around where in the country you live and find out specifically like are you in one of these like highly impacted areas and what facilities are around you like it seems like it varies the degree to which they were able to get detailed stuff but in houston like you can see who is around you and so the map highlights areas where um and this is their website here the additional cancer risk is greater than one in one hundred thousand which that is 
10 times lower than the EPA's threshold, but still high enough to be of concern, which I just want to like put a little coda in that, which is to say like if the EPA's threshold is 10 times higher than this concerning level, you know, it's just that level to which like how compromised has the EPA become regarding air standards in refining situations to say nothing of the TCEQ who is like complete trash and useless. Anyway, so this article in the Chronicle outlined five neighborhoods along the chip channel in East Harris County in Bayport and Baytown. And I just wanted to kind of like quickly go through the list of the five and then ultimately just end up in the place where I think we really need to be when we're talking about this, which is like environmental racism and the income inequality and the geography of how people, how demographics are, what, who is impacted by this kind of thing. So I was going to start. So the first one on the list is Huntsman Petrochemical LLC, um, which is over. Um, I want to say that one's in Galena Park um, because I actually I made a little map of everything. So that one's just yeah, that one's in Galena Park. Um, and here. So they list the pollutants from each facility. So this one in, in Galena Park, uh, the estimated increase in cancer risk for people living in five miles of that is one in 13,000. So a lot, like a lot higher than even their concern. Um, and it's like a middle school and a high school are within that zone. And so like anybody's gone into those parts of Houston, like, you know, it's like residential refinery. And then you'll always have the, you know, Oh, there's a plume today, stay inside. Or there's a, there's a threat of an explosion, stay inside. Or you'll hear the sirens going off while you're, or having strange smells while you're at school. Um, so the second one on the list is the Selenese LTD Clear Lake plant. And this one is really interesting because it, you know, you have, again, an average of one in 13,000 people living with an excess cancer risk, like, or that's the likelihood of cancer in that area. Um, but this is also a plant that shares an entrance with the Arkema plant, the plant that caught fire in 2017 after Hurricane Harvey because they fundamentally failed to prepare for flooding and after a series of explosion was released toxic organic peroxides into the air through which many people drove as they were trying to evacuate because they didn't shut down the road and people went to the hospital. Um, and there was a report that was done by the Chemical Safety and Hazard Investigation Board that literally was like, so Arkema reported all these things that they had in place for events, and they all failed because of flooding, which they noted was a common mode of failure, a.k.a. you live in a flood-prone area. How are you not prepared for this? Um, and just to say, like, you know, just as a point, because all of these chemical plants are sort of part of this like culture of disregard and absolute failure to follow through. Like Arkema apparently was taking anecdotal evidence from their employees to be like, yeah, we're not at a flood risk. Like, you know, Larry over here, you know, he was here during Allison. Like that wasn't so bad. Like that's literally what they did. So that's number two is sharing a site with Arkema is this other place. Um, Equistar Chemicals Bayport, um, you know, releasing ethylene oxide and a set of aldehyde, like nasty. <laughs> I can't pronounce these. But then the four on the list is Lionel Basel in um, on 12,000 Lawndale Street, but it's way east. Um, yeah. My husband worked at this plant for a few months, some oh, years shit. ago, um, before there was a uh, – acetic acid leak in July of this past year that left two people dead and injured about 30 people. Oh. Um, and there's a wrongful death suit being filed against Lionel Basel, who have also had to pay $30.4 million in civil penalties for releasing, which honestly is nothing when we know how much money comes in from these chemical manufacturers. We live in Houston. That is literally nothing. I mean, they can afford to leave their plumes flaring all day, open flame, even though they're technically fined by the day because it's negligible, right? Um, so anyway, so this is the kind of company where, you know, oh, their spokesperson said, you know, protecting the environment and air quality where we live and work is important to us. It's a responsibility to take seriously. So they're like, yeah, we're going to burn off less gas, but... We actually, the EPA are alleging that they altered their flare systems without permission, causing an increase in emissions of pollutants like nitrogen oxide. So, like, they don't give a fuck mm. at all. Um, so that was a crazy one because, like, that was literally a plant that, like, Chris would go to every day. You know, yeah. like, and Lyondell, he, I think he also worked at a Lyondell plant in, like, Tennessee, which is one of the states 
that was mentioned as like having like big hotspots for like toxic air. Um, so there is another one, uh, Shell Chemical um, LP. So I basically like looked at all these five and I was like, well, where are these in Houston? And all of them are east of the 610 loop. Yeah. And so like, of course, that begs the question, you know, who's living along the ship channel? How are they being impacted by this? And, you know, what recourse do they have? Because this is clearly something that we and, you know, we live on the east side of town, I think all of us can safely say that we are in the east end of Houston, but we're not that far east. So when we're getting like weird smells and plumes and weird fogs and miasmas that come from these, those are major, major, major events. But what is happening in these places is that they're not getting reported. They're not having the recourse to actually say anything. So just overall, so the, the, the ProPublica report, you know, there are 16 states that have, or 17, including Texas, that have sites, you know, out of that list, three other states had multiple sites of concern, um, Kentucky, Alabama, and Pennsylvania, but Texas had six, six. Houston is just one of six hotspots in the state of Texas that have this air concern that has come to the top of the list of their research. I mean, the, one of the other places is fucking Cancer Alley, Louisiana, which, okay. But, um, so, sorry, were you... Well, yeah, I, I guess I'm really curious. I, not to give anyone to benefit, not to give Texas, like, a, a an excuse here, mm-hmm. um, but given how huge Texas is and how spread out it is, I'm curious um, if that has anything to do with how many are here, if they're, like, just coincidentally are they just like hyper concentrated is this something that uh proportionally we have more here in terms of land math well i think that that's definitely a thing that we have more of because of the ship channel and our role in that but i also think there's a lot to be said for where we are choosing to put our more corrosive and toxic industries i mean the states that were listed include Virginia, Kentucky, North Carolina, Arizona, Minnesota, Louisiana, Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, New Mexico, Missouri, Tennessee, Illinois, Virginia. Not necessarily topping lists of most well-off states. Yeah, There are a lot of poor southern states on that list. You know what I mean? Yeah. With crappy environmental regulations at the state level. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So... Um, Basically, I just kind of fell into this rabbit hole because, you know, it's sort of a thing I know we all know anecdotally, like people who live along the ship channel, they are predominantly brown and black people. And we know that they are disproportionately impacted by these events. Um, But I found a 2016 study by the Union of Concerned Scientists, which was released in conjunction with Tejas, who is a really great nonprofit, Texas Environmental Justice Advocacy Services, where they basically described a condition that called double jeopardy, where they are at risk for acute and chronic chemical exposures, and they are also at risk for the things that affect you know, marginalized communities. So there are language barriers, there are income barriers, there are barriers to literally finding a way to leave because you can't sell your house. You know, you can't, um, they're also like physical barriers. So anyway, um, this study is amazing. It takes four Houston communities. Um, and I wish I could have read it in its entirety before. So I highly recommend people go check it out. It's on the Tejas website, but, um, I'll give you this, like the points. So Harrisburg, Manchester, Galena park were compared to Bel Air and West Oaks Eldridge. So where, let's say, Manchester, uh, Harrisburg has 90% residents are people of color, 30% live in poverty, the average household income is $45,000. In Bel Air, it's 32% residents of color, 3% poverty rate, and an average household income, which is insane, of $226,000. What? Average income in Bel Air. That's crazy. Holy shit. Dude, is Bel Air is huge and does have some very low income areas. Yeah, but they have a lot and they have zoning that in a way that also means the high income areas are high as yeah. hell. Dude. Oh my god. No, it's nuts. And I know like Bel Air, it's like, yeah. So anyway, they included these really interesting maps that showed like they had the communities on the map and they showed where the hazardous facility locations are. So the two West Side communities have like five or six around them. You can't see the other communities on the east side, because they're covered by how many facilities are on there. Yeah. Same with the accidents. Disproportionately accidents are on the east end in these areas. And uh, toxicity levels were incredibly high. I mean, 
one of the things, and I, I know I'm just starting kind of like telling this like horrible story because at the end of the day, like we don't actually have, and I don't think we have pursued policies to change this. It's more that we are fundamentally lacking sufficient observation of the phenomenon because the people who live there struggle to advocate for themselves for so many reasons that are eminently understandable and make sense. And there are not a lot, there are not enough people who care to go in and actually help them with their air monitoring. So like groups like Air Alliance Houston or One Breath Houston will help, but there just aren't enough people. Um, so I know I'm rambling, but there was one thing that just made me like actually want to explode into flame, which is that like a chemical being emitted in a plume flare. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and also similar, similarly deregulated <laughs> can't afford to pay my fine, but I won't do it anyway. Um, so there, this, basically this, this, uh, study, you know, contrasted data and then sort of more descriptive, like anecdotal based study, like observation. So one of them was that in Galena Park and Harrisburg and Manchester, they are not only concerned about the ongoing chemical effluvia that they live in, they're actually concerned about what would happen in a disaster. So I'm just going to read like a little pa a couple of passages here um, about older residents in Galena Park who are concerned about disasters happening. They were concerned it would start a catastrophic domino effect leading to an evacuation. However, all possible exits, except for one, are crossed by rail tracks with the potential for trains blocking their use. Uh -oh. The Bernie Guerra Bridge, named after a man who lost his life because an emergency vehicle could not reach him, provides the sole escape route and has just two lanes, one in and one out. So... I hope that that's not still the case in 2021 because this was a 2016 study. But there is also the case in Galena Park today that rail lines surround the city and intersects with its exit, creating a nightmare for emergency workers traveling to the site of a chemical release. Um, and so just the last thing I'm going to say is that the study very, very pointedly observed that by contrast, these communities that they were talking about on the west side Bel Air and West Oaks Eldridge is where the headquarters of many of the corporations themselves are. So BP, Citgo, ConocoPhillips, Dow Chemical, and ExxonMobil. In fact, when I was Googling to try to get a location of the facilities that the ProPublica article mentioned, I was getting sent to corporate headquarters downtown. Mm. And I was like, that's really interesting to me because mm. I had to search a little harder to find where your plant is. Um, so I don't know. I just I find it an ongoing situation. So I guess this is more of an opportunity to talk about it because I feel like, you know, it's such a really difficult issue. And I don't know, like. So I have one thing to add. Last week at city council, there was some talk about this cancer cluster in Fifth Ward related to a creosote operation that Union Pacific Railroad uh, was operating. It's no longer an operation, but this creosote operation leaked into the groundwater and uh, it had potentially is causing a cancer cluster there that is under investigation. And so the city is trying to decide what to do, not only about that, but what to, what, how, to how to move going forward. So one of the agenda items last week was uh, basically to engage a law firm to uh, take legal action against not just Union Pacific Railroad, but also the TCEQ, which gave a permit to Union Pacific Railroad. So then there's there became this discussion at city council about, OK, well, how do we keep these permits from happening in the first place? Um, because there's no zoning in Houston. And also the T the TCEQ gives the permit, not the city of Houston. Right. So they talked about uh, creating a city ordinance that would tell facilities and companies that they have to tell the city of Houston when they're filing for a permit with the TCEQ. So if you're filing and they named some specific things like cement batch plants, landfills, uh, a metal processing plant. Some, I can't remember exactly what it was. Scrap metal processing. Cause I live right by a scrap metal yeah. processing yard. So there is the, so it's, and everyone agreed. Okay. We're going to try and work on this ordinance so that when these companies file for a permit with the TCEQ for this list of facilities, 
then we also get notified at the same time. So basically it would trigger, uh, you know, a, a, a lobby campaign probably with the TCEQ to not give them that permit, which is an extremely weak way to fight that. No, it's blight. Yeah. The TCEQ is like, you know, where the EPA is revolving door, you know, the TCEQ is like, it's just, you're going, you're getting flung into the TCEQ from industry. They send people in there to yeah. work there. And TCEQ stands for Texas Commission on Environmental, on Environmental Quality for people that don't know. Yeah. It's the most like corporate ass name. <laughs> corporate ass. Uh, so anyway, uh, I feel like I just kind of ended up just being on a very sad mission to sort of reaffirm things that I, I've known anecdotally in regards to like our pollution and environmentally racist like development strategies in Houston. So I just want to like cap that off by saying, you know, like knowledge is power, I guess I want to know how to be better. So if anybody out there, you know, is listening and they're involved or doing work around this issue, you know, drop us a line. We'd love to yeah. hear about what you're doing. I would love to know what all these chemicals are primarily used for. So the one that was uh, released in that Lyondell Basel, um, what you call it? I'm worried one of these will be like, "You like your precious internet, don't you? We need it in the air," or something like that. This one was like some strange preservative for food that they use in like the Netherlands. Like some Dutch company like used this weird, like I think it was called like glacial acetic acid for like a food production process. There's so much weird, it's all so very esoteric. Like I remember a few years back, there was a train car that like fell over and these little plastic pellets like just released uh. and they were kind of hovering in the air because they, they were composed of something that made them so light. They really kind of were just catching the mildest breeze. So it was kind of a surreal scene from what I heard that like mm. these things were spilling out, these little pellets, but they were also floating. That sounds like zombie spores or something, man. I, I don't know. I don't know about that. We don't know what's in those fucking trains. Yeah, that's true. It's not milk. <laughs> what? It could be. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I watched The Handmaid's Tale. They like rode in a, a train car full of milk in one episode. Huh? <laughs> I know. I was like, do they, is that how they do it? I mean, they must, honestly. Yeah. How, yeah. How else? How else? Are, are they, is it, I fell off that show. Are they still in Gilead or whatever? Or are they now just like milk barons? I, it's just milk a lot. barons. <laughs> it's just a lot going on all right, in, all in right. the world. And anyway, anything I could say now would be a spoiler because a lot of shit has changed. Gilead's number one export is God's milk or something oh God. like that. <laughs> well, it was bad because they were like, we're going to freeze to death in the milk. And I was like, <laughs> Are they going to try? Nobody tried to drink it, I noticed, which was funny because they were like starving on their journey, but they ended up like, <laughs> oh, it's whole milk. I, I know. I was like, at least drink some fucking milk because they were like, literally they had eaten for days and I was like, you're in, I guess they thought, well, now that we're in the milk, we can't drink it. Yeah. It's like, because <laughs> they were probably also peeing in it. Well, they had just gotten in it, but oh, you're okay. absolutely right. I, yeah. I think once you pee in the milk, it is no you longer not drinkable. drink it. But I would have like set some aside if I'd had like a boot or something, like gotten a good protein, like yeah. you know, intake. I like my milk pasteurized, not pisteurized. All right. <laughs> you're in for it now. Ah. <laughs> uh. Well, should we wrap up with a brief discussion of the Texas state elections? We all voted. We, we all sure voted. Did. All the propositions passed. But there's a new style of voting now, or a new way to vote. There are new election machines, new ballot machines. What did everyone think about them? So I ha I don't care either way about them. Like I, My experience was fine, except that uh, I thought it printed out this... Uh, you, you put a piece of paper in the machine, you fill out your ballot on the computer and then it prints out your answers on this paper and i thought that that was like my record to keep which i in my mind at the time made sense i was like oh, okay so maybe they changed it so that people because people felt like they were just you know pushing a button and didn't have any record of what they voted for or whatever. So I was like, I guess I get to keep this. And I just started walking away and they had to like yell at me and flag me down and be like, no, come back. You actually have to uh, you scan that in. voter fraud, Emily. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, you were the one who's doing 
You would have been sent to prison for like four years if you left the premises with that paper man. Oh no! And then they would have found the two ounces of weed I had on <laughs> oh me. Oh my god! Like, well, this is fine. You, but, you, you needed at least two point one more ounces. Or you just needed a bottle of Delta Eight gummies. Yes. <laughs> They'd be yeah. like right to the pokey. Someone, someone did give me a Delta Eight uh, uh, seltzer water at the party and kept telling me how illegal it was. Nice. Okay. <laughs> also, I have an anecdote about my parents who are disabled. Uh, trying to vote on the day of voting they only could do drive-through voting in uh early voting so that they broke that down for day of voting the place they went to did have curbside voting but it was such a snafu uh because it was you know their first time using these machines and they just couldn't get to work they had to bring the machine out to the car it was a whole thing it literally took my parents like an hour and a half to vote uh, because mm-hmm. of this new thing. And I know that it's a new system. And honestly, now that I know I've used it once, I will know not to walk out with the paper next time. You know, there's yeah. always going to be kinks the first time you use it. I just, uh, I didn't have an issue with the old one. So that is exactly why I'm against the new way of doing it because it is adding a very confusing extra step. Like, I thought that the machines were fine. I liked the dial. I grew up with the dial. I've always voted with the dial. Pro dial. Do Long not, live the dial. Yeah. I like the dial. That's what's wrong with the dial. I do not like the, What's the dial? Yeah, what's the dial with voting? I do not like the Scantron shit that they have you do. It was very confusing to me, and I feel like it's going to further slow down voting, which is only going Absolutely. to further discourage voting. Yeah, it just seems like an extra step in the process. It is. Yeah. Like, I don't it's understand already digitized. It. You're, you're entering all your answers into a screen anyways. Why are we printing this out just so that people can feel like they yes. submitted a ballot? It's. Li- I think it's literally democracy theater because people are like, well, how do we know all the votes? You know, all the people who want the votes to be counted or all the politicians who are really banging on about this. And they're like, well, we got to please our constituency. I think they're like, we got to make sure we go back to paper ballots. And this is what they came up with. Like, I cannot see any reasonable explanation for why you would make an art. Like, I don't love the dial. It's like, it's outdated. It's archaic, but it's been around forever where older voters will get it. The chaos next presidential election for everybody who literally only votes once every four years, if they keep this, like, it's going to be insane. Yeah. Now that the iPod is done, dials are out. I Gen like, Z doesn't know how to use Because I things. like the touchscreen. Why can't we just replace the dial with the touchscreen? Because, well, hmm. What's okay. this one had a touchscreen? Yeah. You have the paper, too. That's right, why no. I was just like, why do you need the paper? Why we don't, don't need just, the paper. We don't need the paper. We don't need yeah. the paper. We don't need the paper. Yeah. Ban paper. Yeah. Ban the paper. the voting location. I'm against yep. it. I'm, I'm for paperless voting. <laughs> There, I said it. It just, it absolutely feels to me like they're like, instead of, you know, moving forward, they're like, we're going to use like an older system because somehow, I don't know, the next time we decide to like hysterically demand a recount, we'll have paper ballots and then they can't screw us. We're going to bring out the uh, World War One era crank ballots and somebody will have to be cranking it while you put in your election. Somehow there will be a fucking hanging chat on one of these (laughs) stupid Scantron sheets. They just will be. I really, I don't, I don't, maybe I'm way off base here. Piano nerds will probably be hitting me up, but I wonder if you could pour like scantrons down those player pianos will it like play different music based on your no it has to be uh punctured like there have to be holes in the card because basically like the whole wheel okay yeah y'all correct me if i'm wrong but the whole wheel has like a bunch of small like spokes on it so what the card does is it covers everything except the ones that are gonna like fall down and like strum the piano like strings at the right time but so how is that puncturing different from like a, a hanging chad voting puncture ballot well i guess it comes pre-punctured oh okay the paper does in other non-ballot news one cool thing about this election is that there was for the first time a uh, voting facility within a harris county jail yeah which was very cool because there's a lot of people in jail who are just awaiting sentencing Mm -hmm. or they're for misdemeanors uh, who can still vote and previously they could have voted by absentee mail-in ballot but just didn't have the resources to really pursue that course of action so this was the first election where they put a uh, a a polling location inside of a jail which is really cool that's really great yeah no sign on it said no touching not for inmates workers only I'm glad that they were able to vote. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> I think that'd be fucked up. It's like, you can't vote. <laughs> yeah. Don't you want to vote? Well, it would be like that they were like, well, we didn't say it was legal. Like, well, <laughs> we put a voting machine in the jail. We just didn't say who could use it. It's just like the Delta A people. We didn't say it was legal. So right. therefore, y'all are all going to jail Damn. again. But it does sound like they actually let the yeah, it does have incarcerated yeah, folks yeah. That's use good. it. <laughs> yes, That's they good. did. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Thumbs all joking up. aside, um, I'm glad the process uh, uh, works. Yes. Well, anything else? Anything interesting? Anything uh, uplifting in Texas news that anyone wants to end on? I don't know. Well, that was my uplifting news. Some, that's some people uplifting. in prison got to vote. That's, yeah, that that's is very uplifting. uplifting. I don't really, I feel like I've, I've come in with some very like depressing material and now I'm kind of like. It's uh, depressing uh, shit. We're having election day hangover. Everyone's bummed out. Yeah. No, I don't know. I just, it's been nice weather. It is nice weather. It's finally <laughs> getting nice down here. Yeah. I mean, it, it's raining. That's, you know, is that a nice weather? A, it's a relatively <laughs> recent development. That's a very recent development in the last like couple of hours. <laughs> yeah. And it's bringing good cold winter weather. So that's good. All right. Well, let's decide right now. Is rain good or is rain bad? You're on this podcast. Rain is good. I'm going to call it for good. Rain good. Rain good. We're calling All right. it. We're calling it. We're calling it. Rain, rain good. Rain good. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Don't let any of those rain haters steer you wrong. <laughs> All right, I'm going to start recording. If you like pina coladas, <laughs> getting caught in the rain. All right.